Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. tonight. Amen. As Brother Zach McGee comes, amen, to share with us from the word of the Lord. Will somebody lift their voice right now with that hand clap? God, we love you. Can we give that hand clap a little bit longer there? Praise the Lord, church. I am very thankful to be here because being here uh, means quite a bit to me because I never imagined I would be standing here ever. (laughs) I remember being younger. I didn't like church, didn't want to be here at all. And as I grew, I decided maybe there's something to it. And so I just kind of dug in and God hasn't disappointed. But I just... Thank God for everything he's done in my life. He's done so many things, shown me so much patience. And it's just, he amazes me every day. I also want to thank God for our pastor. He's a great man of God. I highly look up to him as a role model, as a man of God, as a pastor, someone who diligently reads the word and prays. And you have no doubts, you can see it in his worship and in his life. I thank God for our bishop been leading us for years has an amazing heart I really do want a heart like him because you can just come to him and you know he's going to accept you and love you no matter what you've done or who you may have been before I thank God for brother Mason my youth pastor for so many years he's taught us so much he's a very very intelligent man who's helped me dive deeper into the word of God and I believe I'm all the stronger God know him all the more because of his teaching And I thank God for my parents. I mean, I wouldn't be here without God, of course, but I wouldn't be here without them. They were the examples. They were the role models. They taught me how to pray. They showed me how to worship. I'm very thankful for them. Tonight, I hope to minister a word. And I received this from God several months back. I wrote it down thinking I might use this someday, you know, just in case. And someday's here. (laughs) But... I just pray, bear with me, and I'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, then we'll drop down to chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Right here, Abram is receiving a promise from God. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all the substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. 
And Abram passed through the land and unto the place of Sechem, and to the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. God is once again giving Abram a promise. And this time Abram's building an altar. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Dropping down to chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. If you could lift your hands with me and pray. Tonight, I'd like to talk about three different men. First, I'd like to talk about Abram. This is a man who lost sight of God for a time. And you may be seated. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Abram receives a promise from God two different times. And he's also building two altars. Abram is not only receiving from God, it's not a gimme, gimme, gimme relationship. He's also doing what he can to be close to God. He's doing his part in the relationship. It's like, God, I will receive your word and your promise, but I'm also going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to build an altar to you. And I will call upon your name because I want to be close to you. It's not so much he wanted to promise more than anything. He just wanted a close, intimate relationship with God. This is exactly where Abram was supposed to be. He was doing exactly the right thing to keep a strong relationship with God. But then, as it always happens, life happens. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Abram had no control over a drought coming. He didn't see it coming. He didn't expect it. It just it happened. And he's a man left with few options. He's got to provide for his family. So he must move from the promised land that he's already in down to the land of Egypt until the drought passes. And Egypt, it's a very worldly place, and it doesn't exactly give you a lot of encouragement to stay true to God, to worship him. But, and there, unfortunately, we see he doesn't build any altars. Abram doesn't even call on God's name. He's in a worldly place, and without meaning to, he just loses sight of God. And in Genesis 12, 11 through 13, and it came to pass when he was come near unto Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. This, again, we see Abram is just a normal man. He acts out of fear. 
we all have fears. We know what it's like. And being out of the presence of God, he and his wife do this lie. They say this thing. Well, unfortunately, verses 14 through 20, God begins to plague the house of Pharaoh. See, as much as Abram was able to fool a man, was able to fool the world, he could not fool God who saw straight past the lie, knew what was going on. So God went down to plague the house of Pharaoh, which took in Abram and Sarai because of Sarai's beauty. Pharaoh then calls for Abram to ask why this is even happening. Like, what, what in the world is going on? Why is God doing this to us, Abram? And Abram told him about the lie, why it happened. And then Pharaoh kicks him out. Pharaoh took him in, and then he ended up kicking him out because he discovered his lie. Abram had left God's presence in a place of promise and went into the world. He had no control of the doubt over the drought. Life happened, and he had to move. But being in a worldly place, he makes little to no communication with God. And as a result, he is weak and gives in to his fear, having forgotten that God is with them. He may have had to leave the place of promise, but God didn't leave him. Unfortunately, when he left his altar, he left God behind. He didn't mean to do it. It's not like he didn't want the promise, not like he didn't want, you know, God's will in his life. But in the rush of things, in the rush of life, he accidentally left God behind. And in Genesis 13, 1 through 4, we see Abram goes back to the altar. After he's been kicked out, he makes his way back to where he knew God was. And the beautiful part is this, and I can give this personal testimony myself. God was there, and he didn't push Abram away. He helped Abram pick right back up where he left off. Sometimes I make a mistake, something new in life happens, and I just, I go at it. I don't bother with prayer. I don't really think about God because I just get rushed into it. But God's always there. Life happens, and sometimes there's a way of getting in the way of our relationship with God if we allow it to. But God does not let go of us. This isn't saying that we backslid. It's just we've lost sight of what matters. We've lost sight of our God. God sent plagues to wake Abram up and get him out of that place. He does the same thing in our lives. Sometimes we go through this thing that we're so excited about, and then all these bad things happen. We're wondering, why, God, why? But if you take a moment and realize you're praying there, that's what God is getting you to do. He's getting you to make your way back to him. When we make our way back, God is there with love and not rejection. And even Peter, a disciple, a very close personal friend of Jesus, but also just a man like any of us, gave in to fear in a time of weakness, and he denied Jesus. He saw him every day. He was with him. He ate with him. And he didn't just deny him one time. He denied him three different times. But you know what? Right afterwards, he fell on his knees in repentance, and he made himself right with God again. God used Peter greatly as an apostle to establish the truth. It doesn't matter how bad we've messed up or pushed God aside for a time. He will pick you back up again. He will take you back in again. Yeah. 
when you mess up, get back up again. Maybe you don't so much relate to Moses as a man having a relationship with God already. Maybe you relate to Moses, a man who didn't serve God. Now, maybe you don't think God has a great will or promise for your life. Maybe you think, I just need to get saved or just get in church, and that's it. But I think you're wrong. Moses never, ever dreamed that God would use him. Ever. He was born a Hebrew. He was born one of God's people. But he was raised an Egyptian. He was raised in the most worldly fashion you could be. He was raised to know all these other gods. If you know anything about Egypt, they had a lot. So believing in one God was just out of the question. His Egyptian family did not raise him in truth, did not raise him to know or love the one true God in any way. Moses did not serve God. And yet God still had a call on his life. In Exodus 2, 11 through 12, Moses one day decides to go out and look at the slaves while they work. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on the burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This is a big turning point in Moses' life. And here he's in a really big conflict. He's a prince. He has everything. There's nothing he cannot have. He knows he's a Hebrew. He can tell he looks different than the Egyptians. In every other way, he is an Egyptian. But when he sees this, he decides there's just something not right. You know, I've got everything I want here, and yet something's pulling me to help my brother in need. And you know what wins out in this fight? His brother in need. He decides to take action, and he does what he can. As much as Egypt gave Moses everything he could ever want, it wasn't enough. He didn't know why. He just acted on this. He just saved his brother. And if the world would have been enough, Moses would have walked away. But there was a void in there. All these gods, all these pleasures he could have, it still left something empty. Moses decided there had to be something more. As soon as Pharaoh, who is Moses' own grandfather, finds out what Moses did, you know, this is just a guard he killed. This is, you know, someone who really doesn't matter, whereas Moses is a prince. But Pharaoh doesn't like it. He, Moses must become an outcast and a fugitive because Pharaoh seeks out to kill Moses. He's not welcome anywhere. He must run. He's got to get out. He can't even go back to the ones who once called, his fam- called him family. Moses was on top of the world, loved by the world, and living it up. But the moment he does something for his people, God's children, he is cast out and despised. The world will love you as long as you live like them. 
But the moment you are moved by your convictions, they want to kick you out. The reason the world doesn't want you acting different is because when you move by your convictions, you start to show them maybe they could be wrong and maybe what they're doing isn't right. So Moses is cast out and pretty low. He lives in a desert. He has nothing left of his former days but memories. He's not even a young man anymore. He is an 80-year-old man and still not serving God. He did the right thing by helping his brother but he still wasn't serving God. He still wasn't seeking him out. But God still had a promise to use him. God still had a calling for his life. You are never too old or too late to rise up to the calling God has for your life. At this point, God has shifted Moses' life from prince to fugitive to get him in a place where he will hear God when he calls. In Egypt, he was in the exactly wrong place. He would not hear God no matter how much God called. But here, here he can hear. Moses was as worldly as they came, living it up, and then he was pretty washed up. He really didn't have anything to his name. He didn't, really didn't have any great purpose other than to live day by day and provide for the family he got while he was in the desert. Point being, Moses might have felt like he had no value and nothing to offer. And honestly, he didn't have much at all. All Moses had to offer was himself. And on top of all that he had going against him already as an outcast and a fugitive and being old, he had a stuttering problem. He couldn't even really talk all that straight. He had so little to offer God. And I know sometimes that's a hindrance in our lives. We think, I've got nothing great to offer God, so I just need to step back and let somebody else take this. All God was looking for from Moses was this. Yes, Lord. When God called, Moses answered. God was just looking for a yes. He wasn't looking for his skill and speech. He wasn't looking for what he could do or couldn't do. He just wanted a yes. He just wanted a willing vessel. And when Moses said yes, whenever he went, God used this ordinary man to do miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, taking his people across the desert to write the first five books of the Bible. It doesn't matter how far you may have been from God or how you've never thought about him, never served him, never even desired to live for him, no matter how you were raised. God still has a promise for your life. And he will help you find it if you're just willing to say yes. If you are hearing me, take this from me. I never thought God would use me, ever. I, didn't, I just thought I'm just going to get saved, and that's it. If you're hearing me, God wants to use you. He's got a promise. He's got a desire for your life. Something big, something small, but something significant. What I found in my life is this. God has a way of using the ones who never thought they were usable.
And if you still don't relate to Abram or Moses, maybe you're more like the prodigal son, the man who ran away. His story is found in Luke 15, 11 through 24. This is the story of a young man who's being raised right. He's got a father who's teaching him to know and love God and teaching him everything he needs to know to live right. But the son has other desires. He's taking a look around, and he sees what his friend's doing. He's seeing what the neighbors are doing. He's saying, like, hey, that looks kind of fun. You know, I want to try this stuff out, but I know it's not right. But what he does is he can't ignore his desire to live like the world does. He's got a calling, and he's like, I want to go. He tells his daddy, I want my share of the inheritance now. I want my money. And his dad gives it to him, and he goes off into the world. He has a great time. He spends his money on everything he desires. I can't lie and say that it wasn't as fun as it looked, because I, I can almost guarantee you it was a great time. There's always fun in the world, always fun. But it always lasts just a short amount of time. Because when his money ran out and his friends found out and left, all that he had gained and all the fun that seemed so worth it at the time was just gone. He literally had nothing left except regret, like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. He begins to find himself alone and surrounded by pigs in a literal pig pen in a place where he never thought he'd be. He went from having the time of his life to living with the consequences of his choices. He left his father's house. He did everything he wanted. He held nothing back, and it's left him empty and alone. It's left him literally in the pig pen, and that he was at the lowest point he could possibly be. As a Jew, he didn't belong with the pigs. Seeking for pleasure outside of God, just going with whatever's fun, doing sin will always take you further, too far, always keep you longer than you want to stay, always make you do the things you never thought you would do. However, while the son is away, the father's still at home. Out of all the things he could be doing, like, oh, he made his choice. He's waiting for his son to come back. He's waiting. He's watching. He can't bear the hurt of knowing his son is out there and with nothing. He's not giving up on a son. He hasn't abandoned his son. And when the prodigal comes to his senses and decides to come back home, now in the prodigal's eyes, he was thinking, my dad's bound to hate me. And if he even lets me come back home, I'm going to have to come as a servant, as his slave. Because right. I, I can't go back to where I was. Right. His father had another plan. His father ran out to meet him. His father, the son had to start taking the steps to go meet his father. The father wasn't going to go drag him out. He's not going to make you come out of where you are. He's going to let you come out of where you are.
He ran out to meet his son. He didn't just meet him. He restored him fully back to where he was before. If you could stand with me. Some of us are like the prodigal son who choose to leave God for various reasons. We have our fun in the world. We have a great time. It, it is fun. No rules, no standards to try to live by. You don't have to worry about trying to follow this in God's word or go to church at such and such a time. We completely have freedom to do anything we want to. So it seems. What actually happens, though, is we have let go of our anchor. We've let go of the one thing that would never let go of us. And when the seas get rough because we've let go of that anchor, we find ourselves on the mercy of this life. But our Father doesn't give up on us. He waits And the moment he sees us come back, the moment he sees us take that step, he doesn't hesitate. He runs after us. He's got a love that's greater than what we can even imagine. And he's just begging to throw it on us again. And this sea of life can be crazy and rough as we try to find our way back. But he's a lighthouse that does not fade out. He keeps shining till we find our way. He will give us strength. He will cover us. Our God is a love that endures whether we have lost our sight like Abram we get caught up just in the busyness of life maybe we're not even serving and we're just doing our thing we don't really know much about him or we're running away God has a call God wants to use every man every woman no matter what stage in life you're in he will give you the strength to make it not just a church not just to salvation but to a greater promise, to a greater plan than what you even thought he could do. I'd like to read Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love this verse. It lets me know he's God and he understands. He came down. He was flesh. He knows what the temptation is like. He knows what it's like to want to run away. He knows what it's like to get busy. He knows what it's like to just face the temptation, face, have to face your failures, have to face everything this life throws at us. And he understands. He's not going to push you away. That's why he says, let us therefore come boldly unto this throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this altar is open this evening for any who would like to come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.